listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to the second part of our series, Our Brazen Jesus. My name is Joe Bevilacqua. I'm the lead pastor here. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, excited that you're here. A great series to jump into. You know, I think that teaching on Our Brazen Jesus couldn't have come at a better time. I've talked with a lot of people that, um, especially really in the last couple of weeks, some have stopped in the church or maybe emailed me, and, and certainly over the last several months, about people that are facing conflict like they never had before. Uh, some people are facing losing their jobs for reasons that they should not be losing their jobs. And uh, some people are facing having to be bold about what they believe about things, and, and it feels very uh, much like they're being exploited. And so I had this word in my heart. I got to tell you, I struggled to rate this message. I normally don't. It took me four different, like, cutting block moments where I feel like I finally got it this morning during the second song of worship. Um, and so uh, I, I'm excited about this because I think it's going to set a lot of people free in the room today. Uh, let me give you an example of, of some of the conflict that we face maybe on an everyday basis with a story. Um, this is a family that attends our church. Uh, it's not my family. But this, uh, this family, uh, they're the younger people, and they all go to mom and dad's house for the big holiday party. You know, they've got a mom and dad that are kind of the patriarch and matriarch of the family, and they celebrate together every year, and they've got other siblings, and they all gather at that house. Well, uh, one of the siblings' wife, uh, we'll call her sister-in-law for this uh, particular message, sister-in-law wanted everybody to take a certain medicine before they would have Christmas. And sister-in-law wanted everybody to wear a mask if they wouldn't take the medicine. And sister-in-law wanted everybody to get a test the day of the big Christmas party on Christmas Day. Uh, to which the other siblings said, take a walk. And um, the, <laughs> the, the problem is this. It wasn't, it wasn't even so much that mom and dad, the matriarch and patriarch, felt so strongly, but they hadn't taken that particular medicine, and they were hosting the party. This was their party, not somebody else's party. And so, uh, you know, we understand and respect boundaries, and this person did too. And they thought, okay, if you want to go off and not be part of a Christmas this year because we're not going to do all of the things that you'd like us to do, that's fine. We are in the middle of very serious times, right? And so let's, let's be respectful, honor the boundary, and, and, and let y'all go off. But that wasn't enough. Now I'm going to call sister-in-law what she really is, and that is a divisive person. Because what she did was she went to the mother, her mother-in-law, and said, you can't have the party at all. Because if you have the party now, you're doing what I've always suspected. You're showing favoritism. Now, that mom is a, a nice lady, real sweetheart, and she doesn't mean any harm by this. But in order to not be accused of being a person who showed favoritism, they canceled the big family holiday party. And that's, that's heartbreaking. These people are in their 70s, 80s, what might be in the twilight of their life, one of the last Christmases they might have. Now you don't have your kids, your grandkids there. The grandkids are calling up grandma, crying. We want to be able to come over for the party and, and, and please reconsider why well, I can't be accused of being anyone that shows favoritism. 
And so what you have is the divisive person who is daughter-in-law or sister-in-law, right? And then what you have is a passive person. It's awesome is this mom is and she is. She's a great person. She wants to be a peacekeeper. She thinks the most important thing that she can do is cut the drama in her family. But here's how she did it. Instead of going to the divisive person and saying, now listen, that's your conviction, not our conviction. This is our Christmas party you're hijacking. And so if you don't want to go, that's fine, but don't you put that on us. We're, we're still going to have the party. Instead of going and confronting the person, because the person's scary, she called up her grown children and disinvited them. So you think, who's passive? Well, really nobody then. It takes a lot of boldness to go to everybody else and disinvite them from the party. Just as much boldness, I would say, than to go to the one uh, wacko daughter-in-law and say, no, we're not going to do it the way that you want to do. This is nuts. Why are we living by your rules, you know? Get a little light up. Yeah. Just want to know who's with me. And so... So this mother-in-law wants to be a peacekeeper. Big, big problem, Christian, because there is no call on your life to be a peacekeeper. The Bible says you are called to be a peacemaker. Matthew's gospel, if you would. Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Hear me. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing, but to be thrown down and trampled underfoot by men but you're the light of the world. Listen to me, Christian. If you let people railroad you, walk all over you, look at me, I love you, they will walk all over you the rest of your life. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you're helping peace out by appeasing a divisive person. That person needs to be stood up to. They're a bully, and it's not right. Amen? Write it down. Peace must be made. It must be made. It doesn't just happen automatically. You know, we become such sweethearts in the body of Christ. We don't want to get in a fight with anybody, stir anything up. And I don't think that's really what we're called to be, who Jesus modeled himself to be as God. We are Christians, after all, supposed to be made in his likeness. And I see so many people get so passive with things that they don't want to have any hard conversations. And i got to tell you, your life is going to be full of hard conversations, whether you want to have them or not, but if you, if you run from them, they will chase you, and they will have your way. Peace must be made. Have you all lived long enough just to realize that offenses will come, controversy will come, there's going to be conflict in this life? Avoiding it doesn't make any sense. And, and so in our lives, what I've seen is this. The past several years, we're facing conflict and opposition like we never have before, at least in our lives. And it is a little bit foreign to us. And at times, it might have caught people off guard. But I believe that there's a way to do things in such a way where we can be godly. Godly. And at the same time, pick a bone with somebody. 
because this opposition is coming. People are losing their jobs, becoming ostracized, being, being just ridiculed in this world, and it's not right. And I think that the men of God need to stop playing patty cake with everybody and, and show their churches how to stand up to this junk. Because, yeah, praise the Lord. You know, here's what I know. Jesus did not let people walk all over him. Jesus, if you think that Jesus let people walk all over, you're just wrong. Why do we have all these paintings of Jesus from the Renaissance, you know, and he looks like some androgynous white dude, like white, you know, and why has he always got three fingers and he looks passive and little, hmm, 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 you know, just upset about, that's not Jesus. I can't wait. I've said this to some of my friends. I can't wait till Joe Rogan gets saved because... <laughs> My man's going to be an evangelist. And I got to tell you, sometimes the body of Christ looks less like Jesus than Joe Rogan does. Holla, holla, tweet that somebody or put it on Gitter. You can find me, handle at J. Bevilacqua. I have two posts, no followers. <laughs> Jesus stood up. He stood up to people. Jesus would call you a name. Jesus got into, now, he wouldn't do it to nice people or people that had quite, but if people were opposing him and they were going to kick up the dust, my man would kick up the dust with the best of them. He called people devils. He called people son of the devil. One time he called a dude Satan. Hey, you, Satan. Oh, it's a lot, quick. He would go there. He called people fools, which is proof. It's, see, I come from inner city, Nuevo. And so I know when somebody's, Jesus straight up look at somebody and be like, you're a fool. You foo. He would use a metaphor and call them animal names. He'd say, you're, you're a dog. You're, <laughs> can you imagine coming down in the prayer line? I have a word for you. <laughs> you dog. <laughs> he called people snakes and wolves. Called some lady a pig. Hallelujah. <laughs> One time he looked at somebody and he said, you're blind. Jesus. Jesus, the son of the living God, is dropping Ray Charles jokes in the first century, everybody. You're blind. How did Jesus deal with world religions? Oh, very sensitively, as you can imagine. John 10, 8. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers. How's your coexist bumper sticker doing? I mean, did it fly off when I said that? I mean, <laughs> Jesus had very brazen moments, and yet he would deal with people differently. Divisive people would get a very direct answer. If they pushed, if they wanted to kick up dust, he would deal with them in a very hard way. He had no problem with dealing with people in a firm way. Is that loving? It's loving and firm. Loving can look actually angry sometimes. There were other people that just had questions. They were inquisitive about things, and he treated them completely different. Even like Pharisees that had questions. I think about Nicodemus that had big questions and, and went in the night to go talk to, to, to Jesus. I mean, Jesus had grace on people. He wasn't looking for a fight, but he was ready for a fight. Have we made the body of Christ into a bunch of wusses, bunch of limp-wristed, noodle-back wusses, and what you need to do is buck up, buttercup, put your big boy pants on, act like Jesus, and go fashion yourself a whip so when somebody comes at you, you say, no, let me just correct the narrative here. That's not right. Or are you going to let people trample over your family and your lives? Wow. When people would come to him in private, they were, they were treated differently, especially his disciples. He treated them different from everybody else. 
So you'll read about Jesus giving parables and stuff like that, but he never explained the parables in completeness to the crowd. When he got with the 12 disciples, that's when he would talk very frankly. And in fact, within the 12, there were three, Peter, James, and John. He had a very good report. They, they were his three. These are my guys, okay? But even of, of that three, there was one that was closer than the rest. It was John, his best friend. John wrote of himself in the book of John, calling himself the beloved disciple. That's a lot, okay? Here's what I'm trying to say, is that Jesus was, was he had more dimension than just our free hugs buddy Jesus that we put out there all the time. There, there was real gravity to the things that he was doing. I like how it says it in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The Bible says to be on guard, to stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love, be on guard, stand firm, like, like watch out, right? This might be harder than you think. I like how it also says, do everything in love. In other words, hey, there's a right way to do it, but listen, while you're correcting everybody, don't be a jerk, right? I, I mean, anybody else been to that church besides me? Like, <laughs> you're right in everything you're saying, but I don't know if I can get up off the ground. This is so condemning, you know? Like, there's, there's a balance in it all. And so these brazen moments are, are awesome, but here's why I'm talking about it and why we need to understand Jesus in this context is culture is creating a confrontation for you. So as much as you think that you can ballet dance all around all the landmines that they're putting out for you, you can't. One will hit you. It's creating conflict. And you feel it. You feel it at school. You feel it at work. You feel it with your friend circle. You feel it with that sister-in-law, Beelzebub. <laughs> and so when culture shifts, we must respond the right way. So in that passage, we talked about standing and uh, taking our stand. You don't have to look far in the Bible to read about standing. It'll say stand firm. We need to be people that stand up. And, and there's light things that that has to deal with. Maybe you're going to go you know, out to eat this week, and you're going to go to Panera Bread or go get some real fine dining at Russ's. You know? And when you get down there, you got all your coworkers with you, and you want to pray for the meal, but you feel a little bit of, I get that. I understand. I mean, you want to pray, but you don't want to be like the weirdo, and you know who the weirdo is. I'm a dude. If we're ever out eating, I, I want to pray. We're not holding hands. Let me just help you with that one, okay? And, uh, and, and so listen, I get that little tension, but that's a little problem. But Christians have lost their lives fighting conflicts that, that were really something that they, they should stand up to, and they did, but it cost them. I think about Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German preacher. And this was all during Nazi-occupied Germany. And he was a preacher. And, and some of the churches, most of the churches in Germany, when, when the trains would go rumbling by with the Jews in them being sent off to execution, the churches would just sing their hymns louder to drown out the noise from the trains. And it came to a time where this guy, he couldn't take it anymore. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, you read about it. It's pretty interesting stuff. He said, I can't take it. He stepped off the stage right in the middle of a sermon, went out there, did the best he can ultimately got arrested and was killed for his faith. And he's quoted as saying, go tell my family I'm going to a better place. Courage, men. We need that in the body of Christ. Do I think that we're going to face something like that in America? <laughs> ask me two years ago and ask me now. I don't know. I don't think so. I hope not. 
But I think God wants to build that courage in all of us that if, if it happened, if that knocked at our door, that we would be solid in our faith enough to be able to say, no, I'm not, I'm not cowering and letting somebody else take advantage of other people. Not on my watch. I'm not going to watch people get baked in ovens in my generation. So we need to be people that let this courage rise up in all of us. It's time to stand. We need to respond to the pressures of this world, but we need to do it the way Jesus would have done it. Amen? Amen. I have the perfect verse for that. If you have your Bibles, John's Gospel, chapter 1. I want to read this for you. Huge deal. You might have read this and just read over it. Huge deal. John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Talking about Jesus. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of, say it with me, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. This is the glory of God. If you want to see the glory of God on Jesus, the way that you saw it is he had this balance of grace and truth. Both of them. Both of them. And and the Bible's showing us here he's the express image of God. Like the way that he dealt with things was different than the way the world had dealt with things in the past full of grace and truth. Full there in the Greek is the word pleris. It means filled to the brim, abounding in thoroughly full. Here's the word picture. Picture a glass of water that's filled all the way up. And y'all know how like it can go above the brim, like the surface tension of the water, static electricity, all that voodoo they tell us. I still don't understand it, but it can go above the brim. Okay. All you have to do is just touch it and it'll go over. You know what I'm talking about? Let me put it this way. The way Jesus is, the way we have to be, is so full of grace and truth that when the world starts shaking, when the world starts messing up, we don't get triggered. There's a lot of Christians and people getting triggered right now, and you end up chasing something they want you to chase. The enemy, all the enemy has to do is put a little fire out there and you chase that, then he knows how to get you. But that when it hits you and the world will hit you, that what comes out of you is mercy and, and truth, grace and truth, that you're not shaken by these things. When it does shake you up, what comes out? Godliness. Jesus comes out, and it's going to be grace and truth all together. Wow. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter if it's your guy or somebody else's guy. We win. God's on your side. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what culture tries to put on you, that they might try to silence you. You're also worried about that, that Facebook's going to silence you. You have like 125 friends, okay? Like, just relax. <laughs> They're deplatforming me. <laughs> it doesn't matter what people try to force on you. You can stand. Write it down. Jesus is full of grace and truth. So we, we are called to live and to love and to stand full of grace and truth. All of it. All of it. Write that down. We're called to live and love and take our stand full of grace and truth. That passage continues in John 1. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. And his fullness we have all received. What? And grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. What is that even saying? Guys, here's what it's saying. Jesus is righteous, right? He's completely righteous. He is perfect. He's perfection with skin on, okay? Holy. 
And yet, prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors, Lord knows they need Jesus. They loved him. He's personifying truth. There's no compromise in what he's doing. But yet, the world loved him. That is the contrast I'm trying to show. Do you know who doesn't like messages like this, series like this, is religious people. They can't handle things like this. But the world, when they actually hear about something real, they run to it. That's why I can't wait till Rogan gets saved. Amen. He wants to find the truth. Father, right now, New Chapel sends out the word to Joe Rogan. We pray that he gets born again, miraculously, in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your friends about that one. That's nuts. Okay. What is truth? Write it down. Truth is God's standard. That's God's standard. What's his standard? His word. John 17, 17. Teach them your word, which is truth. That's truth. Truth is whatever God says. Whether we agree about it, whether we feel about it, whether we don't feel about it. I got to tell you, there's some days I wake up, I don't feel born again. I feel like I want coffee from that Keurig now, you know? I don't f- so it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. But but indeed, you accept truth. That's a huge deal, huge deal. And so the truth is this. You need God, and I need God. And, and at New Chapel, we take a strong standard with truth, maybe a little bit more than other churches. Why'd you laugh when I said that? <laughs> God's word. We might be cool, we might be trendy, but God's word is true, and we'll never compromise on that. This is the cool, trendy church. You're right. We are cool and trendy. That's one of the reasons why we call ourselves New Chapel. Did you know that? New for this generation. Chapel, timeless, tested. It's that good old gospel message, everybody. And so what do, we, what do we need to do? We need to be people that have a strong standard and at the same time show grace. The challenge with truth, especially in our post-Christian generation, and that's where we're at, is that they're often very skeptical. When we start talking about how there is an absolute truth, they think that we are arrogant at best and dangerous at worst. But we need to understand that truth is not something that is repressive or restrictive or oppressive in our life. Truth is actually something that will set you free. Huge deal. I mean, even in Genesis, you think about God creates Adam and Eve, and he creates this paradise situation for them, and it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and, and they're able to, to eat all of the different fruit that's there. Just don't eat from this one tree. God always puts something in our life to steward that we're not supposed to enjoy. It's, it's his. We're going to take good care of it, right? And, and the rule was don't eat from the tree. Why? You'll have the knowledge of good and evil. You'll die spiritually. You don't want to do this. So how do you say that God's rules are, are oppressive and restrictive? It was, it was freedom. He made Adam and Eve in, in his image. He, he says, be fruitful and multiply. That's a great commandment from a loving God. He gave them everything, said it was good. Just one thing. It wasn't to harm them. It was to keep them from harm. Do you see it? Say amen, somebody. It was to keep them from harm. And so we need to be people that don't run from truth and look at absolute truth as something that is restrictive. It is not. Truth is not just rules and regulations and morals. Truth is, listen to me, it's a person. It's not a what, it's a who. Who is it? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says in John chapter 8 that whoever finds this truth, they'll find freedom. It will set you free. So we need truth, 
but we also need grace. Grace. Write it down. This is what grace is. What is it? Grace is God's favor. It's, it's this word in Greek in the Bible's original language, charis, means gift in Greek, and it's undeserved kindness, favor, and the undeserved goodwill of God. That's God's grace in our life. Now, God favors you when you're unfavorable. That's awesome. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he gives us salvation as a grace gift. It's amazing. He makes it in such a way that you couldn't do anything so good that it would earn you anything in heaven. He did the work for you. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. God saved you by his, say it with me, he saved you by his grace. Say it again, his grace. When you believed, and you can't take credit. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things you've done so that none of us can boast about it. Let me just give you a little cheaters, the cliff notes for heaven. When you get up there, don't rattle off all the good things that you did to Jesus. Have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out. Don't do that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for giving your life for me. Amen, somebody? And, and yet, people in the world miss this. I have some friends, they're out in the wild, out in the world, and you know, it's, it's different when I talk because it's, it's called the curse of knowledge. You, you know things, but you think everybody knows what you know. And as I've talked to them, you know, trying to work on them, you'll hear them say, oh, yeah, you just got to be a good person. You go to heaven. Really hear that. And I try to quantify that. I'm an Excel spreadsheet guy, so great. That's a great feeling. Can you show me that on an Excel file, you know? And so I say, okay, if zero is Hitler... And a hundred is Jesus. Where do you have to be to go to heaven? Where, where are you a good person? Well, at least 51%, Pastor Joe. I'm telling you, you got to be at least 51. Okay, here's the fun part. Ask them where they fall. It's never 51%. They're all 75, 75, 60. I mean, on a bad day, but 75. I'm good. You know, the reality is this, and this is what I've told them. It takes 100%. Well, no person can do that. Exactly. You just got my message. I built a whole career in this thing, right? Like, it's, it's, it's free gift. You can't earn it. Where are you going with this, Pastor? Christians are caught between these two worlds, grace and truth. You're caught in the middle of them. You say, Pastor, I don't like some Christians. Get in line. I don't like all of them either. We got some granola Christians, the fruit, flakes, and nuts. We've got some Christians that are know-it-alls. We've got some Christians that are judgy. Take your judgy back to that church you came from. But at the same time, it's because there's a tension in between these two ditches of grace and truth. Truth is great. It sets you free. It's powerful. But do you all know anybody that's all truth? Just like all truth all the time. Have you ever noticed that those people can be a little bit judgy sometimes? Sometimes they can be a little mean about things. I mean, they're more than frank when it comes to things like they'll, they'll be like a little out of touch with what's going on. Like I tell you right now, brother, you need the truth. You're not living in the truth. You better get right or get left. Hell's hot. You smoking that funny Cuban lettuce, you're going to go where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. I mean, you're going to hell. And if you talk a real religious person, they'll give two syllables to it. Go, hey, y'all, uh, Anybody else visit that church once? <laughs> you look like you grew up there. Yeah? Yikes, me too. It's, it's, not that, it's not that they're not even right sometimes. 
It's that God hasn't called you just to be right. He's called you to be influential. And, and there's no ministry gift called you sitting around being right. And so it, 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 they might have the corner on truth, though I think people can get into error. They, they, they can miss it by the way that they treat other people. That's truth without grace. Write it down. Truth without grace condemns. It's condemning. There's no on-ramp to even get it right. It condemns them. Like, you couldn't do this. Truth without grace produces legalism. Oh, this is a tough one. I mean, anybody else grow up where you had to do holy aerobics? You know what I'm talking about? Stand up, sit down, turn around, greet them. Now we're kneeling. Now we're up. Say this. Now the poetry. Over here. Now we're there. And also with you. You know what I mean? That's not Star Wars. It's like, you know, like, whoa, whoa. All the things I got to do to make you feel like I'm okay to even be here, or am I actually trying to convince myself I'm okay to be here? It's not right. And so we need to realize that when we do that, we open ourselves and our families up to rebellion. I've been around the block long enough to see PKs. You know what they are? Yikes. Not mine. They're angels. But... Y'all know I'm talking about PKs? Their parents were so legalistic and judgmental about everything they had to do. They were so cooped up and bent up that the moment they had freedom, they went out there and went buck wild. And it cost them so much. You want the surefire way to turn your kids off to God? Be so restrictive with them that they have no outlet to have fun. Have we forgotten? God's kids are called to have some fun. And so we need to realize that truth ultimately without grace leads to rebellion. But some Christians are all grace, all grace, all grace, all grace, 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 grace. Bunch of hippies. I'm telling you. Hey, Pastor Joe, listen. No stones. You do you, boo-boo. Like, I'm good. Hey, hey, who are you to judge? You know, you come as you are. You can stay as you are. Like, we're good, whatever. And it's so gracious. They're trying to be more gracious than God. And listen to me, there's no such thing. Don't try to be more gracious than Jesus. He's fine enough on his own with the grace that he extends all of us. We need to realize that that's grace without truth. Write it down. Grace without truth produces lawlessness. What does that mean? You'll give yourself a pass. You can do whatever you want. I'm entitled to it because grace, grace. Well, you don't know how they were raised and you don't know what they went through. Listen, God sees all those things and he does care. But people are responsible for their own actions. They made a choice. And when they justify lawlessness, it's wrong. Grace without truth corrupts. This is when you give yourself the pass all the time. It's the preacher who puts his hand in the offering bucket corruption justified in what they're doing and if there's no such thing as an absolute truth in this world people begin to stray what happens yeah people say well listen who are you to tell me how to live? who's god to tell me how to live it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're happy it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere and friend you'll be sincerely wrong it doesn't matter how we do anything as long as we don't hurt anybody in this world Write it down. Grace without truth leads to relativism. Everything's relative. If your truth is different than my truth, who's right? Well, the answer is nobody. 
I saw this commercial uh, not so long ago, and it wasn't Uber Eats. It was like the other one that ships food to people's houses. The one that we hate the commercial, I run from it. DoorDash, the devil. I hate that commercial. And, and on that whole thing, they're like, oh, yeah, uncle, whatever. You live your truth. I turn the TV off. Not only am I not going to use DoorDash, but number two, you don't have a truth that's separate from truth. There just is truth. And this generation has been convinced in so many ways that there is. And friend, it just, it just is not that way. And this philosophy is not just in the world. It's crept into the church. There's a lot of pastors that would not be bold enough to preach a message like this. I'm going to tell you, 10 years ago, this wasn't bold. Everybody was talking this, frankly, to prepare their people, to equip their people, to stand. And then we stopped. And it was wrong. If somebody was supposed to be shepherding you and leading you and they let you down, I'm sorry, but that's not Jesus. Our brazen Jesus is stepping into your life right now and giving you another crossroads opportunity to jump on. Let's be the church. Hallelujah. Without truth, we become worldly. And without grace, we become judgmental. And Chris Hodges said this, truth without grace is mean. It is. Grace without truth is meaningless, but truth and grace are medicine. I'm going to tell you, when you deal with conflict, when you deal with people, when you add truth and grace into all of it, if it doesn't heal the relationship, and you always can't do that, sometimes you'll have a divisive sister-in-law that's going to do her own thing. David S. Pumpkins. She go do her own thing. Fine. But it'll be medicine for you because you'll know that you did everything you could do to treat them well, treat them with respect, and hold your standards grace invites us to be free and the truth sets us free wow i want to show you one last passage a story in scripture before we pray it's in god's uh, john's gospel chapter 8 it's a very incredible story and it shows the grace and truth of god jesus returned to the mount of olives but early next morning he was back again at the temple he's getting ready to teach a new series the crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Now, you might not be like me, but in my holy imagination, when I read the Bible, I think, how in the world did they know she was cheating? How do you catch her in the act of adultery? That's a lot. What were you doing? Don't talk about everybody? Like, that's another sermon. They put her in front of the crowd. Why do I say that? It's so easy to point out other people's sin and not focus on your own. Verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says to stone her. Execution time. What do you say? And it was the law of the time. Jesus was a rabbi. He wasn't a carpenter. Okay? Bible doesn't say that. He says he's a carpenter's son. Jesus was not a carpenter. He was a rabbi. He had the authority to make judgments. And he would be the person that two or three witnesses, the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every precept be established. If someone had an accusation, they'd go to him and he'd be in the seat of judge. He was, he was in the spot to do that. It was his role to do that. But Jesus sees people's in from the beginning. He sees why they did what they did. He sees what an opportunity would do to them if they had it. But they ask a question to him. They say, Jesus, what do you say? And friend, that's exactly what the world is asking of you right now. We're going to make you do this. What do you say? 
We're going to put pressure on you in this area. What do you say? We're going to make you dress different than everybody else. You're the funny one in the office. What do you say? We're going to press you on your faith. What do you say about that? We're going to disinvite you to a party that's not ours. That's cuckoo. That's what they're going to do and say, what do you say? The world is pressing us. It continues on, verse 6. They were trying to trap him, and that's what it always is, into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down. He wrote in the dust with his finger. We have no idea what he wrote. I would pay money to know. Theologians have guessed for a long time. Maybe he was just taking a second to think. But they kept demanding an answer. Do you see that? The world is demanding a response from you. You going to bow? Are you going to stand? Are you going to be a person that has resolve? Are you going to be that cute little boy scout that we can take advantage of? Do you hear me? That's severe, Pastor Joe. It absolutely is, and the stakes are high. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again, and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust, I love Jesus because they want like, are you gonna are you gonna kill her? Like, are we gonna stone her, or are you gonna let her free? If you stone her, you're not so gracious as you've been conveying yourself to be, Jesus. But if you let her go free, you have no standards. Do you see it? The world wants you to make an either-or decision. And the reality is God has not asked you to make the discernment in between mercy and truth, grace and truth. You don't have to make an either-or. You can make a yes-and decision in every, 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 every predicament you're put into. You can follow God. And Jesus goes down and he starts writing again. Now, in my holy imagination, let me preach the message the way I want. I think Jesus goes down there and he starts writing the name of some of these guys' girlfriends outside of their marriage. Veronica. Michelle. Isn't that right, Deacon? You know, like... My message, let me preach the way I want. Verse 9. When the accusers, and that's who they are, they heard this, they slipped away. Well, they slipped do you see that? They come in guns blazing. Hey, we found a girl in adultery. And then I just slip out. I got, a thing. I got a thing. I got a thing. I got to go. I can't be here for the stoning. I got to go. You think they're so tough. I can't wait until the moment you find out that your divisive person is actually a wimp. They will slip away. One by one, beginning with the oldest. Maybe he knew he got a lot of sins. He's wise until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And that's how Jesus is going to correct you. If you're a follower of God, you're not an opponent, you're not guns blazing against him, he will deal with you so gently, so privately. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Do you see it? He didn't take away what she did. They needed two or three accusers in order for him to pronounce the judgment. He took away the accusers. Yes, and... I'm not going to condemn her to death, and I'm going to let her go free. What? Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Neither do I. Grace. Now go and sin no more. Truth. Don't do this to yourself. You're better than this. This is beneath you. I have more for you. Do you see that? And so, culture will be knocking. After I preach a message like this, count on this week. 
I say when the devil knocks, you knock back. Don't treat people like you treat the devil. You treat them with grace and truth. You love people who are far from God. And so when you see the divisive person, to take it full circle, and the passive person who enables the divisive person to have their way, you can choose to be the third option. Who is that? The peacemaker. The just person. Where you're going to look at things soberly. You're not going to throw stones. But you're not also not going to let monkey business happen. You're going to be loving but firm. Mercy, truth, grace, truth. You're going to love people that you might even have to be very direct with, and that's okay. That's who God has called you to be as a Christian, and it is in the likeness of him. We are called by God to be like Jesus. And who is Jesus? He is the word made flesh, full of grace and truth at the same time. Truth that breaks bondage off from people's lives and takes shame off from families and it's sin-shattering truth that sets people free. But he's also grace, scandalous grace. Like you don't deserve it. You deserve hell. He comes and goes, ah, psych, I'm gonna take their place. It's scandalous. It's even, it's even unfair. But that is our God in this post-Christian generation is not struggling with the real Jesus. They're struggling with the ideas that man, religious man, has put into their head. I say we at New Chapel show them the real Jesus, full of grace and truth. Because when you see him for who he is, friend, you'll be enamored with him. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I thank you for a message like this. God, we need to hear this in the times that we're living in. We need strength. We don't want to be the odd man out, but we don't want to compromise everything we believe and say things that we detest. So, Lord, we need strength. Father, I pray for my church right now who are facing all kinds of awful things. I pray, God, for a holy boldness to rise up in their hearts, not in their own strength. They, they've done that. They need yours. God, I pray for strength to make hard decisions and hard calls, even if it costs them. Father, I pray that if it costs them, they'll have a wonderful testimony to their kids and their spouse of even if it costs you so much, you don't back down. God, I pray for that boldness in this room. So many of these people know extended family and friends that are going through it right now. God, I pray that they'd be a witness to talk to them, to tell them that they're not being ungodly by being firm. Lord, I thank you for it. Move in our hearts today. God, I pray that you'd bubble that thing up in our hearts right now while heads are bowed that we gotta deal with. It's different for so many. God, I thank you for clarity in this room they can hear from you. It doesn't matter what I say. You hear from Jesus right now, New Chapel. You, you hear from Jesus. And he'll give you that truth, but it'll be coupled with his grace. Father, I pray for those in the sound of my voice that don't know you. Help me to find them. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for, just for another minute. If you came into this room and you don't know God, Jesus made a way. The Bible says if you call Jesus Lord, you'll be saved. You'll avoid a Christless hell. You'll have eternity in heaven. But more, 
that eternal life won't start when you die. It starts today, the moment you accept Christ. And that peace you're longing for, friend, it's not found when everything settles down in this world. There's no indications from my perspective of this world settling down. Your peace isn't going to come from the outside. It's going to come from the Spirit of God within you. So if you want to make that decision, making Jesus Lord, we're going to pray. If you mean it, the Bible says you'll be saved. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray it with me out loud. Pray, dear Heavenly Father. Pray, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Hey, louder than that. Come on, somebody. The reason why we get excited when we know people accept Christ is because we know the freedom it brought into our lives. So listen, if you accepted Christ in here, let us know about it. Whether you fill out a connection card or you come forward, what prayer people ready to agree with you on the word of God. But listen, God did something great in your life. Let somebody know about it. We want to send you that note so that you can know all the great things that God has. His great things, the least of which is to fill out a connection card and let us know or come talk to somebody. We love you and we're proud of you. Church, one more time, let's let them know how proud we are. Thank you. Stand up on your feet, gang. Did y'all get anything out of today's message? Hey, bring somebody else to next week. I, uh, if you thought today was fun, you're going to love, you're, <laughs> you'll like next week. Um, I have a couple of announcements I want to let you know about. If you're on the Go Team, you serve, maybe you came to our Christmas party, we have a t-shirt for you for free. Uh, we were told by somebody that we were supposed to order it in October, and it didn't come in time. And so it's here now. Happy January. And so we have uh, all the t-shirts in your size back there. So if you're serving on a team, go grab one. And if you like the team and you're okay with stealing, go back and grab one. God bless you. I don't care. Uh, New Chapel Connect is today. After this service, 15 minutes after we're going to uh, dismiss, you could leave your kids back there. We'll have lunch for them. We'll have Jimmy John's Coke and Dasani water for you. And as always, it's calorie and carb free in Jesus' name. We'll be celebrating communion together on January 23rd. That's a special time here at New Chapel. Don't miss communion together with all of your church family. And then we have this new trendy thing that we're going to be launching on January 27th called Prayer Meeting. That's the incredible name that I have for it. I'll see all three of you there. It'll be great. <laughs> hey, listen, what if we were the church that was countercultural and we had the prayer meeting be our biggest service and we did some work for the kingdom? Hey, come with your prayer needs. Get ready to pray for other people. It's going to be awesome. You won't be embarrassed out of your element. It's going to be awesome and life-giving. Worship band's going to be there. It's going to be incredible. Small groups will be launching on February 6th. If you're not in a small group, you, you need to be. It's, it's something that you need real relational uh, um, accountability in your life and be able to ask questions and be able to have some of the topics that you're interested in be solved. And then finally, uh, mark your calendars for February 13th at 6 o'clock. We're having a Super Bowl party. I've been told that the Chiefs and MSU are playing. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that we're going to be having a chili cook-off. So if you've got a bad mamma jammer chili, 
come bring it, okay? And if you got a good chip dip, I'll be trying all of them just to be fair. That's the most important thing. Uh, guys, I love you. I love what God's doing in the life of our church. Give it up for my beautiful bride. Let's pray for the people. We're here for you. We're behind you. We know what you're going through. Just know you're not alone. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, as you go, see you next week. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.